Thursday Dunlop test, that's the most important thing for you? Yeah, I didn't update that. Like, look, look at the broad strokes, not the details. You understand? Thank you. All right, I've been shooting Did you my call bow. Alex Asante yet? Do you just hate money? Do you hate money? <laughs> no, I love money. You hate money. No, I love money. Money's You're a good. Bell-end. You're a bell end. That's got to be some British thing, right? Mm-hmm. Bell end. I don't even know mm-hmm. what that means. What does that mean? If you're a bell end, well, dickhead isn't nice to use on the podcast, so I'll just say that. Well, Richard, Richard Head. Thank you. Thank you. Richard's my middle name. Mm-hmm. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast presented What's by up, Ryan Allen. Oh, okay. That's Jason Pridmore talking. Um. So, hi, Jay. How was the trip home, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> it was good, man. It was good. It was. Uh, it. You know, I've said it probably a hundred times on these podcasts, but when you're sitting at home two months out and you go, oh, there's a 5:45 flight, <laughs> 5:40 in the morning flight. I can get home by 9:30. It seems like such a good idea. And then you're like, Sunday night, you're going to bed and you don't get to bed till 11. And it's like, okay, the old wake up call has got to happen at about, you know, four. But that was my Monday. So yeah, they like should, they three should, o'clock, I'm like falling asleep. They should relabel it, shouldn't they? It should be called, instead of the red eye flight, they should call it the red eye. That sounds good on paper. Oh, flight. I've done it twice. And it's just, yeah. Anyways, it was, it was good. I mean, um, it was a great weekend up in Minnesota. We had a good time up there. And, uh, you know, well, I know we're going to talk about Brainerd and all the stuff that went on up there. So we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, overall, it was good. I think um, the flight home, I had I had this, I had two crazy flight homes. Like I had the first flight at 5.20 in the morning, I'm greeted by a, a girl that, of course, she ends up sitting right next to me on the window. And I'm on the aisle. So it's just two seats on the left side of the plane. And she's having a full-blown conversation with a guy like there's nobody else on the plane but her. And she's F-bombing and like just going crazy. So everybody's looking at her. So she's she's ripped, wasted, drunk at 5.20 in the morning. And, I, and I've got <laughs> her a carryover, on the plane. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds I like a up, Vegas flight, doesn't it? Like a, oh yeah. a red-eye Vegas. I woke up about halfway. And of course, she's sleeping on me at that point. So I'm like... Well, it, there was there was there was a stage where I thought she was going to get kicked off the flight because she kept on having to get reminded to put her mask on three times, mm. and uh, and so about midway through, I'm like, well, so she's it's like she's literally fell asleep on top of me, and I'm like, oh god, what do I do? But I'm thinking, I fell back asleep. I just did what you do at five something in the morning. Fell back asleep. I wish I could sleep on planes. It's mm. probably one of the one of the only things. It's just like, oh man, you know the I, best part about wearing a mask on a plane now. Mm. When you're drooling and sleeping, nobody knows. That is, it's okay. the greatest part about sleeping on a plane. It that's true. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I I can't argue with that. And, yeah. and on that, people, this this podcast is brought to you by Rye Helmets. <laughs> and did you know that when Jason's drooling in his mask, there are people out there riding their motorcycles in the heat of the summer. And if you're in a Rye helmet, you can take advantage of these things called antimicrobials. That's right, antimicrobials. It's a material. They were the, the antimicrobials are built into the material. You get what I'm saying? To the interior liner. Gives you some odor resistance, some dirt resistance, and those antimicrobials you love so much. So, you, look, you can stay fresher longer and enjoy a comfortable ride in the latest Arai helmet. Go check out AraiAmericas.com. See what you like. Head down to your local dealer for fitment. Grab yourself a lid. AraiAmericas.com. I can tell you from putting 10,500 miles on a Hudson Valley motorcycles, Ducati, Multistrada V4S, that I sweat a lot. Especially when we were at the Ridge, Jay, like 109 degrees. 
But the other cool thing about the Arai helmet is, is I, and I have like that full system in the helmet, right? Like the yep. speakers and stuff. Pull the headliner out, click, 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 out. Pull the cheek pads off and uh, that's it. Yep. What you got? All I yeah. could see was just a big, like a- No. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the fact that- Wash them in the sink. You can smell nice. Literally be done on your little rides every single whatever day that you rode on that bike, and then you can just pull them out and wash them. Is pretty good. I am riding to Pittsburgh. I've got to figure it out, but I'm bringing <laughs> the helmet. Yeah. Well, let me tell you right now, the fact that the fact that you're riding to Pittsburgh, I'm about ready to friggin' ride to Pittsburgh too. My <laughs> rental my rental car in Minneapolis was nine hundred and sixty two dollars. Oh my aching head! Wow, it was more than my plane ticket. See, I knew at the beginning of the season. But let me just be honest. I gotta be honest with something. I I like the convenience of just being able to walk into my car at the airport. I hate the fact I have to go stand in line. I don't do any of that stuff. No, I, I don't either. But you do and it so, with Hertz. I do it with Davis. I do it with Hertz. And and so the problem is the problem is Hertz is always expensive. Now there have been times when they haven't been. Yeah. But every everywhere is like that right now. I have a friend that just came back from Hawaii. Said they're getting fifteen hundred a day for cars in in Hawaii. So everybody's Ubering in Hawaii. Yeah, there's two problems. Number one, obviously, as we know from from being at the races and stuff, that it is packed. People are getting out. They're getting their freedom back, at least for the moment. You know, I know here in North Carolina, there's going to be some mask mandates coming back because obviously the Delta variant is starting to to crush uh, some like the healthcare system again here in North Carolina, some other states. But whatever, it is what it is there. But so most people getting out, and on top of that, the Rental car agencies sold off a lot of their cars in their normal yeah. sales cycle, but there's no cars to replace it because of the chip shortage. Yeah. You know, like for anybody out there, you go try to sell your car right now. You're getting way more. You're going to get more for your oh, used 100%. car yeah. than, you, than you're ever going to get probably yeah. in the next you know few months or whatever. So, yeah, it, it it's nuts out there. It's great. I mean, the crowd we had at Brainerd was really good. I yeah. thought, especially it's for great. a first time event, not having been back there for 17 years. I thought Dude. the crowd was really, really, really good. Unreal. By the way, I hung out with your boy Jeff from Orion on Sunday night. Jeff Wheel, yeah, such a good dude. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a beaut. No, we we uh, we ended up staying. You know, I ended up staying at that hotel right there at the airport. The Intercontinental. It was great. I yeah. mean, it was absolutely the. It was perfect. And so I, I, me and Gilbert, Michael Gilbert, we dropped. Um, I dropped him off and then unloaded all my bags, all one of them. And then I took off straight to the rental car place and I just walked from the rental car place back to the hotel. Two minute walk. I mean, it was right next door to the hotel. And and uh, I get a text like, hey, come in the bar. Everybody's having a drink in here. And hung out with Aguilar and Josh and and um, Josh Merrill, who helps Michael Gilbert. And and uh, and Jeff was in there with him. So we all just hung out in there a little bit and, and uh, talked about the weekend. But the crowd, how about the crowd? And I thought it was cool they had drag racing going on, even though it was like looked like clubman drag racing or whatever going on over there. But mm-hmm. I thought it was nice that the different crowds could kind of see what was going on uh, during any kind of breaks there were. But I, I thought Brainerd was – I really did think it was a great event. Yeah, the track dumped a bunch of money to you know to get Moto America there. They paved a paddock. Remember when I told you I came back, we were talking offline, and I was like, I don't know where they're going to put the paddock. I mean, they're going to have to basically scatter yes. people out. I had no idea that they were going to do that. They painted the curbs. Um, the 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 line around the racetrack was amusing, actually, because they literally just had someone driving with the truck, and so they weren't that straight. But um, no, the white lines around weren't that the straight. The white line around, wow. Hey, hey, listen, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this though. You know, when you go to a track, it's it was seventeen years for me, 
And and you told me before that like Jay, wait, wait till you walk, wait, wait till you drive through Baxter or whatever it is, the little town that you come through, mm-hmm. it looks totally different. Great. There were so many things that I remember about that little town. Yeah, it's grown, but there are still all the little. There's the one Mexican restaurant that was that's been there for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the hotels and stuff were all pretty much the same. Uh, the miniature golf courses and all the little go karts, go kart tracks just outside yeah. the track. They're all there before. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of different things, but. I really, I really see potential in that event. I think a lot of people, as far as Moto America, you know, talking with Chuck and and um, I got to see Varner for just a little bit, and obviously talking to Carruthers and some others. I mean, there was our ticket sales were amazing. People in the infield were so enthusiastic that that we were back. Yeah. I just thought the event was great. Yeah, I just think that you know people don't travel like we travel, right? Yeah. They don't just get yeah. up. Like if I said to you, like. Literally, Jay, you got time in two hours. Just go to LA, get on a plane, and we're going to meet in Missouri. Like you do it. Most people, from what I understand, are like, well, wait a second. I have to plan for it. I have to budget for it. I have to, like, you know, for us, we travel so much. You know, one of the things when I travel with people don't travel, they're like, oh, I got to make sure I remember everything. I'm like, Mm -hmm. why? You're traveling in the US and everywhere's got a Walmart. If you forget your razor, you know what I mean? Like you just run down to the Walmart. Yeah, but those are the people that don't travel much. That's what I'm saying. Like you and I, you and I, we leave the house and I could literally be four minutes down the road and go like, oh shit, I forgot this. And I'm like, "Eh, who cares? I'll I'll buy it wherever I get. Exactly. But most people don't do that, I think. And they have jobs and they have all these things. So for us to come back up there, there were so many fans that I ran into because Sunday morning I did a little, you know, Instagram live track thing that all these people were like, man, those were great, by the way. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, those are good. I got. I was watching those in the morning. I think it's good. And it, you know, we're 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 gonna get railed by Weej because he's the guy that we, you know, <laughs> Weej. He's already talking about getting a selfie stick and going full Weej at the races. Gotta so. go full Weej. I mean, you know, I don't know if I could do the the actual GoPro thing. That's a little too much to carry. Yeah, no, I think that the <laughs> no, I, the phone the phone thing was good though. Yeah, it was good. I get a selfie stick, and that way I can at least do a little bit more with it. But Uncle anyways. Skip sent me a video of Weege at McDonald's or something. I haven't got to watch it yet, but it was yesterday, so I got to watch it. Something about his power went out at his house. And oh, really? A, yeah, but the problem is on a couple of col- a couple of the golf holes at my course gets bad get bad reception. So I got to watch it. I wanted to watch it before uh, before the podcast today, but I didn't get around to it. But no, I thought overall, I'll tell you, you know, the smoke up there from the fires was really gnarly because I know you flew in on Thursday. I was there Thursday too. And it was like, it was so smoky when Mikey, I, I rented a, I rented a, a house about 30 minutes south of the track, little town called Little Falls. And we woke up, we came, went outside and it was like, it was like the fires were right there. It was like, Ooh. it seemed like they were right there. And I'm like, whoa, I think, okay, when we start driving, it'll get better. And it, and it didn't. I mean, we were we went thirty minutes north up to the track, and it was it was horrible. In fact, we went into a coffee shop on the way there. I told Mikey, I'm like, man, I don't even know if we should ride. So we looked at live timing, and of course, all the Junior Cup kids they didn't even see any smoke, so they were like <laughs> wide open on the track. So we're watching live timing, going, well, you know, twenty of these guys went out, and so we we obviously we rode, but it was yeah, the air quality was really gnarly. The thing I was concerned about the most was just those riders that we don't know about, or riders we do like Rocco who have asthma that might've been struggling a little bit, you know, with, with breathing. Yeah. I think he I, did I, too. I believe he did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you saw it, you said you saw him take, you know, a puff or whatever. Take of, a puff right on the line, right? Like literally like dad threw him the, the, the medicine literally as the visor was going down, he took one quick puff and, and off he went. And um, so yeah. And Corey Alexander, you know, Corey had COVID. So 
his lungs, for whatever reason, don't seem to be functioning as well as they were prior. Mm -hmm. And uh, he really noticed it over the course of the weekend as well. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad it wasn't like that for the races, though. No, I'm glad. I mean, the races it were was it way better bad. on Sunday for sure. Sunday, correct. Yeah, correct. Sunday was definitely the best day. But I have the results of, you want to get into the, to the results and stuff? Yeah, do it. Let's do it. Go ahead. All right. So let's go, Let's start off with Hono's Superbike. Uh, Jake Gagne, Jake Gagne wins at this point. Race number one was his 10th of 11 in a row. Bobby Fong finishes second. Matthew Skultz in third. Cameron Peterson, Hector Barbara, J.D. Beach, who was filling in for Josh Heron, who ended up uh, testing positive for COVID right before the weekend, and he was sick with some symptoms. Jake Lewis in seventh. He was the first of our um, uh, Superbike Cup riders on the Stock 1000s. Andrew Lee, uh, that's a hell of a story. David yeah. Anthony in ninth. Bradley Ward, Michael Gilbert, uh, Ferris, Corey Alexander, Danilo Lewis, and Travis Wyman. Um Loris Baz obviously was a was an exit uh in race number one, as that was a that was a bit of a thing. Uh in race number two, it was Gagne over Skultz, Baz, Fong, Peterson, JD Beach, and sixth again. Hector Barber, Jake Lewis, Bradley Ward, Corey Alexander, Wyatt Ferris, Travis Wyman, who had just a, a weekend to forget, Michael Gilbert, Daniel Lewis, and David Anthony. So obviously we probably should just start with race number one. What happened? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that when you when you look at things, and I, I've been trying to think of a number of different ways to kind of attack this, and you know, for me, I, I want to be. I think our I think our jobs is to be honest with what we feel, what we see, especially you know, in the booth. It's my job to kind of be the color guy that that can reflect back on situations that could have been uh, similar to what I rode with. Um, the whole point of it. And, you know, when I look at race one, um, the, the biggest problem we had, Greg, right? I mean, if there was one thing when we talk about Brainerd, and I think we talk about the track a little bit, the first three quarters of Brainerd were the exact same as they were, as you and I remember them, essentially. You know, from turn one, turn one was still extremely fast. It's fourth gear on a thousand. Um, so the first three quarters of the lap is essentially the exact same. Um, the chicane there, if they could come up with a solution, I don't think that there was anybody in the paddock that would disagree that they could come up with a solution to the chicane to make that better. The track is raceable. I, I really enjoyed it. As you know, I rode a little bit there Thursday and I thought that the track itself was, was really doable. You rode there too. Like, like the left right before where the, the actual pit was, you know, where everybody was in pit lane. So out of the um, chicane, out of the chicane, out of the chicane that, that, that left, left, then the right, right onto the pit straight. I can live with those two. I can even live with the tight left and I can live with the right that goes under the bridge. I, none of that to me, I, I could live with all that. The chicane part of it is, was the worst part. So if there was a way for them to go through that big, long turn, what is it? Eight Greg, the, the big, long carousel thing. Yeah. Yeah. And come up with a little bit better solution. They have a very raceable track. They have a lot of fan support, a lot of vantage areas to go watch from. I thought that was what made it really nice too. So, so Brainerd in itself is great. The, the one thing is the chicane. And the second part is where we have to start from. Um, for those of you that, that don't know, imagine going to your your racetrack anywhere, your your local track, and you've got your pit out and your pit in. And generally that pit out, pit in straightaway is the straightaway you start your races from. Well, at Brainerd, because of the way that first turn would be structured, it's so tight and it'd be so hard to get a field through it. The straightaway was actually in a different place on the racetrack and it wasn't easily accessible. So, you know, before the start of races, we see all the teams out there with generators and 
tire warmers and we do the whole start plan where there's, you know, get the guys out there after the siding lap and everybody's sitting there. We do our grid, we do our grid interviews and things. Well, because of where that was actually stationed, it, it Moto America wanted to make the start safer. So they moved it down by where turn one is. Um, couldn't get people out there. Could you Greg? No, you can only get really one one mechanic out there. And part of the yeah. function, the reason is, is because that straightaway blends into the old exit of turn one. Um, yeah, the new turn one is essentially like the old one, and it blends right, right into the What old I'm saying track. is the Correct. drag strip kind of pinches off that area, so there's Correct. no way to even put a paddock where that straightaway is. I agree with Moto America's decision I to do move too. the start there to make it safer. I do too. But the problem is, is the actual starting procedure. And yeah, the what we normally itself, have yeah. versus what goes on. And yeah, it, I the thing is, is, I wonder if it would have been a problem had, I think it's Kuna, right? 95? Um, Kuna fell off in the siding lap and this wouldn't have been a problem, right? Because we did it the second day. So essentially what happens is, is instead of us, we were doing a quick start procedure like we were doing all during COVID where, you know, if you remember last year, it was like, Everybody goes out for a siding lap. There's one mechanic waiting on the grid. They make sure the riders get in position, and then boom, they're out for their warm up lap. They come around from their warm up lap. They grid up and they go right. In this particular case, what ends up happening is Matt Kuna, unfortunately, he crashes on the siding lap. And so when the riders come to the grid and their one mechanic is standing there waiting, they got held for like, well, I'll give you exact number: two minutes and twelve seconds longer then they would normally have gotten held. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they got two minutes and 12 seconds longer um, than their, than the normal. And the problem was, is that when the race started, um, I thought this was a great report by you that you did on Sunday morning. Um, we saw Gagne spin up really bad, but the reason he spun up there fair play is because that track part of the track never, ever really gets used. It's on the far right hand side of the track. Riders are on the very far left-hand side of the track on a normal lap. So that part of the track never gets used. Um, also, he was on a new, a brand new, like, yeah, like you were put on down brand on new Wednesday, pavement. brand new pavement. Yeah. So yeah. there was even no rubber Correct. getting over that part of the track. So, and he was, <clears throat> I, I think maybe P2, maybe was on the edge of it, but he was the only one for sure that I know of that was 100% both front and rear wheels on that because yeah. of the way we stagger the grids. Yeah. So... So when we watch the start of the race, we see Gagne again to get sideways and he gets shuffled back to second. And anyways, you know, Cam Peterson, I think, got the start that day. And what ends up happening is the guys make it one full complete lap. And then all hell breaks loose when they get to turn three. Gagne tips off on the inside and does one of those weird where the rear comes around and just keeps spinning around on him, which I, yeah, I mean, crazy. His bike ends up in the middle of the racetrack. Baz ends up going through. All the guys go through. And then as we're watching the the actual, when we're watching it live, I see Baz's bike getting flipping through the air in turn four. And I really feel, and this is just my opinion, you know, I feel like Motor America got a really bad rap on this um, because, you know, it came out, basically Baz come out and more or less said, you know, what about the five minutes we waited on the grid? It wasn't five minutes. Um, you got to also remember these guys did a warm up lap. And they did one full complete race lap. And if you watch the stress that the riders are putting under the tires going into turn 12, even on the first lap, um, for me personally, uh, there was 25 riders, I think, 24 started because Kuna was out. Um, 
all 24 riders made it around that first that first flying lap. If you're going to see a real cold tire problem, let's keep in mind too, it wasn't cold outside, was it, Greg? No, it wasn't cold, but the track no. temperature, but the track temperature was the lowest it had been, all right? Because yep. there were at that point of the day some thicker haze or that some thicker mm-hmm. smoke ended up so it yep. was it was cooler, but it wasn't cool. No, it wasn't cool. Um so basically the problem I have is is that basic you know, Motor America gets called out on this uh, because Baz ends up crashing really bad in turn four. And I'm a huge Loris Baz fan. Like I watch him and I watch what's going on and I watch him ride these sessions. And he's he's he is a world-class working kind of rider where he is trying his best to get everything he can on the bike, as all, all our riders. But I'm saying that I'm not trying to badmouth him. But when you look back on the situation... It's pretty hard for me to imagine that when he sees Gagne scooting across the ground, that between that point where he passes Gagne to where he breaks for the next corner, he's got the lead. There's got to be something that ran through his brain that said, I'm finally going to win a race. I mean, it would be a natural thing as a, as a, as an athlete to go, well, Hey, now's my big chance. Like literally the guy that's leading the championship that's won however many races in a row is sliding along on the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. And it it's uh he goes off into turn four, loses the front, cartwheels the bike. Now, Gagne fell, and talking to Richard Samboli in the morning, Sunday, he said that that there was a very good possibility that he felt that Gagne got real tight on the exit and to like almost to the dirty point. Because if you look at where he was and where he fell, he was extremely tight, almost out of our camera view because we were watching Ga- uh, Baz come in there. But if you look at the the rate of acceleration where they, where the actual bike pushes out to, he wasn't going to get out there at all. He was very tight to the inside of the corner. Could have hit some dirty part of the racetrack, even could have touched the white line on the inside, at, which started the bike spinning around. Um, the problem for me was, is all the aftermath. Like Moto America tries to find new venues for us to go to, tries to find great places for us to ride. I And, I and ride in the rain. That's why we don't run the... Old track. The old track. And, and you know, when you look at this place, Greg, and we don't need to get into this, but there's at least two other tracks that I think are way more dangerous than Brainerd. Um, mm-hmm. And so they they went there. They did their homework. They they The people at the track obviously want Moto America there because they paved all of that paddock, like you said, after the test. You, you called me after the test. You're like, Jay, I don't know where we're going to have paddock. I don't even know where we're going to do this. And when I got there, I was like, whoa, it's actually pretty good. I know. No. I was thinking the same thing, but that was part of what Chuck Axon wasn't telling me. It had, to look, going, you know. it had to look so much different than when you were there. Like, so much different. Totally different. I mean, from that perspective. <clears throat> and and the track itself, because there were cones at Jessica Zalewski's mm-hmm. High Performance Day that weren't there, and they painted the curbs, and they painted the thing. So, it yeah, there was, there were some things that looked completely different. Yep. So, you have an event. You have a venue that are... And our booth it, was awesome, by the way. Our booth was awesome. You had a venue there that's trying to rekindle the 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 glory days that we had back at Brainerd. And, you know, for me personally, I just looked at it like there was 25 riders that got around that very first lap. These guys had two laps plus three turns, four turns. There should have been enough heat in some of those, in those tires. And I think the last thing that you got to remember here, and I really wanted to make a call on this, but I talked to enough people, but you know, Greg, when you do a, a normal weekend and you have a siding lap and you come back to the pits or come back to the grid, and you put the bikes up on warmers, okay? When the whistle blows to get everybody off the grid, there's at least two minutes 
where the tire warmers are off the bikes, the tire warmers are off the bikes completely for two plus minutes. And by the time the grid clears and all the stuff that has to happen. So when those tire warmers get whipped off, then you got to get the stands and you got to do all those things. There's two minutes where the riders are sitting there on the grid with no warmers on their bike at all. And then they go out and they do a warm up lap and they start. So I don't really think for me personally, there was no other accidents in turn four during the whole race, by the way, there was no accidents in turn four. Um, just Loris. Loris was the only one that fell there. And I feel that, that I just think that Moto America took a bit of a beat down for that. They didn't really deserve. I totally see your point. I'm conflicted <laughs> in a way. I talked to Stan Boley and he told me that from the first start in mm-hmm. race number one to the second start, the difference in tire temperature was three degrees C. So it was three degrees C uh, at that at that time. Or maybe that was the warm-up lap. I don't know. I'd have to go check it again. But it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You know, after the warm-up lap. Yeah. So after the warm-up lap, the start of the race. But part of the part of the heat that's generated isn't just from the tire. It's also from the heat that's uh, um, retained by by the material in this entire system, right? Yeah. So from the actual wheels themselves. So, you know... That's one side of it. So one side of it, the evidence, like you're saying, says, look, no one else crashed in four. I get it was, you know, there's not a lot of left turns. But yet, on the other hand, you know, when we see the track map, it's like one less left turn than, but we know under load, there aren't that many left corners there. But then Greg, again, had it, and, it, and had it been the opening lap? Oh, 100%. I would have been like, I would have definitely like, oh, yeah. Four corners into it? Oh, yeah, 100%. But then the, on the other hand, <clears throat> you have a guy in Loris Baz who is a world champion rider who understands the system better. Who also, when you look at it, all those other people didn't crash. I get it, but also all those other people weren't going as fast as Baz, right? The only person going as fast as Baz at that moment in time was on the ground. So I don't know. I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm going. So, so how it happened? Yeah, but what's the to- difference between when you say that we're talking? I mean, look, we're talking nothing. When you say guys that aren't going as fast, we can't draw a parallel and say that that they're going miles quicker than Skultz or Cam Peterson or Bobby Fong or anything. You know right. I mean? So all I'm saying is, is that my only problem with the whole situation is the, the stuff on social media and allowing uh, I mean, people, allowing people to open the door to start trashing Moto America in this one. Like you and I get paid by Moto America. Our, hey, our I'd have to. no problem being but, critical. Well, no, but what I'm saying yeah. is, is, but, but we work for the TV crew. You know what I'm saying? Like well, oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. our job. And, and, it, you know, I worked for nothing but networks until a couple of years ago. We're now work for Moto America, but it doesn't matter. They have never told, Moto America has never said that we need to say this, we need to say that. Never. It's never, ever happened. So I feel like we have the latitude to criticize where criticism is due. And all I, we're saying, I think, in this case is that I think it was undue criticism because uh, there's there are too many things that point to, mm, I don't know, you know, it kind of well, sounds the like problem that it looks is- like it was more of a mistake than it was blaming it on a cold tire, but I, I, I'm not in a position to sit there and question Loris Baz because- No, the- and that's this whole thing that I'm trying to get across is I'm not right. trying to make it to where Loris goes, oh, you guys are whatever. That's not my point either. I think the point I'm trying to make is that it's, you know, you might look back on this in 10 or 12 years or five years or three years or whatever. I mean, Loris has got tons and tons and tons of experience, right? Yep. So if as a writer, if as a writer- you're thinking that maybe my tires might not be up to temperature. You're leading the race, okay? Loris knows he's got pace. He knows it. He knows he's got pace. Gagne's on the ground. Um, I know what you're saying, dude. I thought the exact same thing when it happened. I'm saying to myself, if he thinks that, then 
let's continue to get the tires up to temperature and then go. The main yeah. competitor that you have is on the ground. So there's no reason to go rushing off in the very next corner, some two and a half seconds after you've seen this guy lie on the ground and go watch yourself. Okay. Yeah. But you know, Paula Chabotti's there. Ducati needs a win. This is Loris's big chance to do it. And, and he tipped off in turn four. Has it happened before? It's happened a million times to people before. Will it happen again? It will happen again. All I'm saying is that when I open up my my Instagram that night and I see Loris's comment about what about the five minutes waiting on the grid, and then you see all the comments of people just bashing Motor America. That's the tough part. Yeah. That's the thing I go like, it's not people aren't especially people who aren't there, they're not really looking at the whole picture. They're not looking at the big, big picture here. No, especially if you're a Baz fan, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you something else. Those glasses or yeah. And I'm gonna tell you something else. Tell me something else. Is that when you want to talk about possibly being critical? Mm-hmm. I thought the red flag, myself personally, I thought the red flag got thrown too quickly. You and I talked about this a little bit, and you're like, oh, I couldn't believe how long it took. I mean, the red flag was out by the time those guys were exiting turn four. Now, keep this in mind. They had to throw the red flag because of why. Why did they throw the red flag? Uh, bike in the middle of the track. Yeah, gone used bikes in the middle of the racetrack. <laughs> but that bike would have been picked up and gone easily by the time the next crew came around. The problem is if there was any oil on the ground or any of that stuff that, you know, if Gagne's bike would have put oil on the ground... There's a safety margin there that Motor America took into consideration. But I want you to think about it. Had Gagne got right up and that, you know, not had to get run off the track and you know, he ran off the inside of the track. And again, all these people, oh, riders should stay like where he's at. Riders should stay. Look, when you okay. got bikes, yeah. Gagne knows first off how many bikes are in the grid, right? There's 24, 25 bikes. Half the field had gone through by the time he got up and was like trying to figure out which direction he wanted to run. Um, regardless of all that, um, had he not, had he not ran off the racetrack, I think he would have jumped over his bike, picked it up. They might've just let the race keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that, I think more the reason is than just the bike and the track was that two incidences happened immediately mm-hmm. it, within two corners. Correct. It, it, it does stress the resources, you know, on the, on Moto America and all that kind of stuff. So it does. And when you and see it, that all that carnage going on, I think if you're, you know, if you're, uh, Race direction. Hobbs, yeah, if you're Rick Hobbs or whoever, you know, whoever's making that call in race direction, you're probably mm-hmm. like, okay, what is going on right now? Is there something down? Is because if you remember the 600 race just before that, there in turn six, there we had a guy go down, put dirt all over the racetrack, and then Rocco went down. And in yeah. between races, they were looked like they were trying to clean something up in turn six. Now that or five, this has nothing to do with this incident that we're talking about. No, um, so maybe there was a think time, so, right? Yeah, but I mean, yeah. So yeah, I just feel like I feel like there's. Uh, just a high high level of frustration in the Ducati in the Ducati tent right now because if you would have told me that we've gone through Brainerd right now and Loris Baz will not have won a race by now, I would have laughed in your face at the beginning of the year. But as a commentator, how badly do you want Loris Baz to win a race? Oh. And and or Bobby Fong, Cam Peterson. I, I, I'm like, dying for it. Like and anybody nothing, anybody and, other than a Yamaha at this point, but, just but, as commentators, we we want to see somebody else and, win. And, and it's, it's literally not obviously, thing, obviously it's nothing against Gagne. Love him. It, 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 and what he's doing is absolutely incredible. But for the series, for for anything else, it would have been it would have been great had Gagne been what would have been great has Gagne get up from that incident. That bike didn't even look <laughs> damaged. I talked to Stan Boley about it. I'm like, you know, what the hell? Like the bike didn't even bar was a little bent here and there, but, but I mean, he could have got up and kept going in that race. If he'd have had to, he would have got up, he'd have got going, he would have gone to the, you know, and, and raced. And then we would have had, 
whatever we have happen at the front. But but I'm with you. And and again, I don't want this to sound like I'm being overly critical of Loris or or anybody. I just feel like there was some unfair um, criticism pointed in a direction where I don't really feel like it needed to be pointed. All right. So that's a good point. So in race yeah. two, so oh, somebody did send me a message saying, how many times has uh, someone won a race after they've fallen down? It, huh. It's happened. I mean, uh, it's happened. First, with, what's the first one that comes to mind in your in your brain? The first thing Scott, that came to Scott Russell Daytona yes, 200. Daytona. That's the first thing that came to my mind when you yeah. just said that. I'm like, oh, Scott Russell Daytona 200. You know? Yeah. I mean, so so the question is, like, you and I are old school. So so when when Gagne goes down and they red flag the race, we naturally go to this thing that says, okay, Gagne's got to start from the back of the grid because he caused a red flag. Mm-hmm. I was uh, schooled. <laughs> I was set straight. By Moto America Sunday morning. That rule has not been in existence in seven years. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's if, if you're out there and you're wondering why that happened, because the FIM's rules basically have said, look, they've run into too many situations where there's been multiple riders down on the same lap or within a lap and a half. How do you determine what caused the red flag? Sometimes it's just too many incidences happen at one time that stress the resources available. Because if you have, think about it, if you have four or five riders go down in three different incidences and you only have a couple of ambulances on track, like you've got to stop. You can't let that continue. I understand the idea behind that. So anyway, the, the idea is saying that the cause of the red flag is actually inconsequential. What matters is there is a red flag. What matters is the amount of laps that's happened. So if you were within the first three laps, they're going to do an original grid restart with, uh, you know, a number of laps determined. If you're in that window of after three laps up to two thirds, then they're going to regrid based on the last complete lap and then so on and so forth. So, and then there's the Bobby Fong rule, which we hate to say the Bobby Fong rule, but the Bobby Fong rule. Barber. Barber, yeah. So where if you crash, say on the last lap and the red flag comes out, you're automatically penalized 20 seconds. That way, you know, I don't know. Nobody's ever done Dude, this, but I you know could, but there's just some things that I just don't understand. And it, we could have a whole podcast on yeah, it. Yeah, which we're not going to do. But nonetheless, we're not do, but I, but to I, clarify, I agree with, yeah, yeah, everybody clarify, that was watching, yeah, the red flag, the cause of the red flag is inconsequential to the rules the way that they are right now. I have no problem with it. It is the way it is. Everybody's under the same guidelines. So that's why Gagne gets, and it was lap two, it was the beginning of lap two. So it didn't matter if everybody completed the lap. It didn't matter all that stuff. There's just another area that we didn't touch on. However, in race two, Gagne goes 11 race wins in a row, which is now a new record, which I think Hayes and Bobier both have, have won 10 in a row at one Who point. Who saw in their this career. coming? Who saw Dude, this coming? No one. I mean, yeah. we knew, we knew, I knew from testing. Okay, and the and and the and the information I'm getting from winter testing that Gagne was fast. Stamboli texted me, I you know, I can't remember, March, and yep. said he's made a step. And I was like, Okay, he's made a step. <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. yeah, what does that mean? Holy crikey. I mean, the problem now is is that you 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 further extend, so he goes four point six in race one and now five point two. So you're just kind of building this whole it, I mean, w- with with the races we had at Laguna, one point one and one point eight, it brought the average of seven seconds down a little bit. Yeah. But now again, you know, you're just like, it's not just that he's winning; it's just that he's just walloping people. I mean, well, just, it's just he's got that extra three tenths every lap. It's just he just has it. Like, there's a couple guys that'll hang on for a lap or two, and then it's just like he just keeps grinding out the laps. I mean, it's it's incredible to watch. I thought that the 
I thought that the two laps of qualifying he did Saturday morning, the last two laps were the sloppiest I've seen him look all year. Um, Went back into a little bit of override mode and didn't go any quicker. He went 29.8, I think, on Friday afternoon or... Yep. Or even, or even, you know, whatever it was Friday afternoon, or Saturday morning, Saturday, Saturday morning, morning, Saturday morning, yeah. 29. And then, uh, at the last two laps of that, he, you know, he went back out to try to go quicker. And I was like, Oh, Jake, like it looked a little bit like it did last year. Um, and then in the race, you know, the second day he goes 29, nine on his first flying lap, which, which to me is, um, I mean, it's indicative of how he rides now. Like the, the first lap, like he goes 29, nine. It didn't look like he was trying any harder at all. Um, so I think that he is a little bit in the place of racing against the racetrack, doesn't care about anybody else. I want to give a shout out to Bobby Fong too. I mean, on this, huh. because it is so good to see Bobby back up front and doing what he does, uh, what we've seen him be able to do so many times. He's had a really tough year and it's pretty documented, but I thought on the first day, you know, he ends up keeping Ganya pretty, pretty honest when you look at it for the majority of that race, um, the, especially the first sort of half. And I know Gagne, had his bike fixed and new leathers and all that put back on before the restart of that first race. But finally ended up like four seconds back or five seconds back. So like six seconds. It was four, it was, it was 4.6 seconds. 4.6. But, yeah. And, and yeah, Gagne's up, bike, the bar was bent. Okay. And it wasn't yeah. perfect, but Jake, uh, Jake can, is one guy who can ride around all that stuff. 100%. But yeah, to Fong's credit, dude, his fastest lap of the race was only two tenths off of what Gagne's was in race one. Yeah. And on the second day, you know, he ends up fourth. He ran off in turn 12 there um, trying to kind of keep, Gagne honest again. So he runs off. He ends up coming back and finishing fourth, but he had the second fastest lap of the race on that day as well. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, and I just felt bad. I felt bad for him. I thought that it was really good though. And I'm hoping that this is going to, I think that when we go to places like Pittsburgh and things, I'm not going to say he's going to beat Gagne, but he'll be a guy that will continue to push it to, to get those seconds. And, and, you know, it's good to see the guy on the podium, um, you know, looking at, at some race results Matthew Skultz, tremendous weekend for the Westby team. They end up second in uh, in race one. Uh, I'm sorry, third in race one, second in race two. But Matthew had great pace. I mean, he did. He had great pace all weekend. Um, he talked about working I, on his riding, right? He like, talked about working on his riding. I'm going to say he had he had good pace, but he had great consistency. Like I think that's what you got to look at more than anything. He ends up 5.2 seconds back at the end of uh, of race number two behind Gagne. Um, race number one, he was only 6.1 back. So he made a little bit of a jump as far as total time between the two. Um, but he had really good consistency. Cause if you look at lap time to lap time, he was a full second off of Gagne's best lap, um, in race two. Gagne went 29.9, Skultzy went 30.9. Um, and, and that said, I mean, Gagne had eight tenths on Bobby Fong in that race. So it tells you the kind of pace that he had. Yeah. I mean, but looking at, look at, looking at the championship, you know, like looking at the, uh, I should say the, the, the yearly run, you know, Skull starts off yeah. Jay with win second, second, third. And then there's that kind of middle bit of the season here where he's just off the podium. He gets one. Now he's gone second. He's gone third, third, second. You know yep. what I mean? With a couple of races to go, it just seems like they finally kind of got their stuff back in the line. They found a good, window for Skultz and on top of that he's working on his riding which is good no I thought it was really good for the whole team I was cracking up because I've got into the stage now where I don't really look at my phone at all while I mean at all that when we're doing our telecast but every now and then I'll get something from like Nicole or somebody that's within Moto America um that might have relevance to the race or whatever so yeah we keep it around 
Yeah, we keep it on just in case because it's good for us to have that uh, if we need to communicate with somebody uh, in race direction or whatever. But um, I looked down and our boy Chucky texted me like literally during the race and I just happened to see it. So my immediate thought was like, oh, what did I do? And and uh, <laughs> yeah, he was just he was just busting my nuts. But he, he was yeah, cracked me up getting that text message from him. But um, I think somebody who had pace, but it was weird watching Cam Peterson this weekend because I know he's working on that first lap stuff. And the first lap stuff, if you notice in both those races, he got great starts, kind of gets shuffled back quickly. Then he has pace. And then towards the end or middle of the race, it just didn't seem like this weekend Cam had the bike underneath him um, to kind of get the job finished to get himself up on that podium. Like he, he had like five, six lap pace, but it took him two laps to get up to pace. And then it, and then he'd had the pace and then it would drop off a little bit. So he was just a little bit off this weekend. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I haven't had, I didn't, just get a little chance, bit. I didn't get a chance to talk to him about it, but it looked to me that the bike was, was really working hard. The yes. bike was working hard. And my guess is, is that some of the tire performance dropped off because if you look at the way, That's, yeah, I agree. Right. Because if you really look at the way these Dunlops have been developed over the last several years, they've been yeah. developed ultimately around, you know, Cameron Bobier, who's an ultra smooth rider. You see Gagne now, who's just like you're saying, developed Jay, that, hadn't he? He's developed into that ultra smooth rider. And I think that when you get a bike that's worked really hard, like we've seen the Ducati at, at Brainerd, it worked really hard to do a lap. Baz was just, I, just, I mean, so talented, right? And, but that's the way Peterson's bike looked. And I just kind of wonder maybe if, you know, it, it you can get away with it when it's got tons of grip on a brand new tire. But there is like that two, three lap window where you're going to get a, just an initial drop off of performance. And then they say that Dunlop just kind of hovers there for a while. And so I think that some of these bikes are really struggling to do those first three lap pace. You know, three lap. We watched laps. the start of the first the first start um, when we got to do the restart and all that. I mean, Cam Cam's up at the front. Peterson. Cam Peterson's up at the front. We're not on TV. I don't have to say last name. <laughs> uh, everybody knows who I'm talking about. Cam's up front, and then he <laughs> immediately gets passed in turn three and four by Skultz and Gagne. And it's like, that's the stuff that he's told me. He's like, Jay, I got to get this part better. But I got to tell you that he's done such a good job this year of just being more consistent, continuously staying in, in the races. When the bike isn't underneath him, he takes his result and he moves forward. It's the kind of stuff that you see from guys that will – you know, he won a championship last year, but it's the kind of stuff that you see where it's like, it's almost like I got to take my medicine a little bit. It kind of sucks being not up at the sharp end. Okay. He was 14 seconds back in race two. So they made a change or they must've done something because he was only eight, 8.7 seconds back in race one, a little bit further back in race two without speaking to him. Um, they may have made a change overnight that just didn't gel as, as well for him. Um, but it's the kind of stuff that like next year when he comes back, uh, he'll be able to put this in kind of his repertoire of tools of things that he's done. And, you know, he'll be better for it finishing these races. I mean, he's third in the championship, which he's doing such a good job. Yeah. I mean, the I championship mean, is blown out. It's 79 points between Gagne and Skultz of Skultz. You know, I mean, is this the time of year with three rounds and six races left? We start talking about when Gagne can wrap this thing up. It yeah. all really depends on Matthew Skultz. I mean, if if Skultz can drag this thing out and maybe win a couple of races or at least finish second behind Gagne, 
then Gagne can't walk away with the title until we get to Jersey, I think. Well, we got you know? three rounds. We got three races in Jersey and three races at Barber, correct? Oh, that's right. We do. I forgot. So about I forgot that. about that because I was yep. thinking to myself, he's got a he's got a 79-point lead. If it gets to 101 before we get to Jersey, it's done. But it's right. not done because but we no. have three races at each one of those. Yeah, that's a good point. I totally forgot a, about I that. I mean, right now, it's... I mean, the guy doesn't look very. Uh, no, I mean, he's got. He has no weaknesses. There's, there's no vulnerabilities. And the thing is, is that when on the occasion when he's been passed, he's just fought right back. Like he's got a bike that's raceable. It's fast. He's won with the bike. It's like, and he's breaking track records everywhere. And the fact that you can go a tenth of a second slower than your qualifying time when you put a, a super soft, you know, qualifying tire on there, and you do it on a race rubber on day two. That just shows you how many improvements they made to the bike as well. Yeah. Going to the next day. I mean, the track was better. The sun was out. The temperature was up. Like the track was definitely in better shape than it was on Saturday. That's going to be part of it for sure. But what about Hector Hector Barbera? Unreal. Great job. Doing wonderful things. You know, what's funny about Hector Barbera to me that um, I think is really impressive. If you watch him, he he gets to whatever his race pace is going to be super early in the weekend. Like, like you watch him on Thursday for argument's sake, the guy was just all of us. He was doing 32s right off the bat. Like it didn't take him very long to just get up to speed and get going. Um, even with the guys that have been testing here. And I don't believe that Shivey went there. Did they, they didn't go to that. No, they didn't at, go there. They? Did so not. I don't know if they, I don't think that they'd ever been there. And, this kind of goes back to the old home track advantage things. When guys show up at your track, the next thing you know, they're they're just ripping. Um, obviously, we know how seasoned he is. Um, have you guys talked to him much? Yeah, yeah, I talked it, to him. Seems like a, a little great bit. guy. I saw he's, him at dinner. I saw him at dinner Sunday night. I didn't want to bug him because he's at dinner, you know. But um, I, I just I'm pretty impressed by his work ethic and how he goes about things because um, obviously he gets on this BMW. We didn't really. I well, we say we, I, me. Didn't expect much. Um, bike's getting a little long in the tooth. That team's doing a really nice job. I mean, a great job of being a mainstay in our paddock. Shibe Racing has a great little effort. Um, they have a great presence in the paddock as far as their their rig and everything looks great. Very simple program. Doesn't it look simple? Their yeah, program? simple. It's simple. The, um, way, the way that Shibe approaches it is exactly that. It's designed to be simple so they can focus on the things that matter the most. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he ends, yeah. Up fifth, he ends up fifth and sixth on the weekend. Second yeah. race... Second race, I think he ran off the track. Second race, he, he ran he off did, the track, but, right? But the thing to note is the in race one, he finishes 23 seconds behind the leader. Mm-hmm. That's only a 15-lap race, you know, because it was the red yeah. flag, right? In yeah. race two, he finishes in seventh, but add those three laps, and now he's only 18.2 seconds And he ran behind. off the track. I think and like he ran off the track. Five or six second different in lap time compared to the rest of them that, that exactly. when he happened. And, and his fastest lap of the race from, from race one to race two only got better by about six tenths of a second. Yeah. So it plays into the idea that you're talking about, Jay, is like once he gets to a time, the dude can be super consistent. And yeah. to be honest, Jay, he shows up to the first race. He's all smiles. He's got the big blue eyes. He's like, wow, you know, I'm talking to Shiby. I'm talking to Hector. They're like, man, this is great. We're pumped. And I'm going, okay, I've seen it before. Now we're deep into the season. Has the shine worn off? Not at all. The guy loves the bike. He tells him, turn the electronics down. He controls the rear tire with a thumb brake, a la his GP experience on a, on a Ducati from years ago. And he's happy about it. And he's happy to be here. And he likes the tracks. He likes the people. He likes to travel. It's like, it's like great things, you know? And, yeah. and I think that, you know, we don't do, we don't do 
him the service that he needs because, you know, you have this domination of Gagne and then you have, you know, there seems to be these good battles going on for second and third, like between Skultz and Baz in race two or Bobby Fong in second, he runs off. And then, you know, next thing you know, we're deep into the race and it's like, oh, we get to show Hector Barber once or twice, but he's doing a great job. And yeah, he's and fun I think to be the around. thing that you look at is like over in BSB right now, BMW is just like, there are so many of them on the grid and, and Shivey's done enough of a job over here. I believe that it's like, man, we just got to figure out a way. He's got to figure out a way to get new bikes underneath him, whether BMW gets behind him, that, that would be amazing because, you know, you look at Travis Wyman, Travis has done a really nice job in our stock thousand class, as well as our Superbike cup. You like that. I got both of them, right? Did you see that G-Dub? I got both those, right? Um, Congratulations. The thing is, is that you look at that and BMW uh, has a little, t- has a tiny footprint in our paddock. And that bike right now that Barbara is on is a 16, I believe. Isn't that what we've been told? Like it's, it's, it's a, got a lot of updates. It's a, it's a 15 actually. Yeah, it's I had a, yeah. So the, so frame, what would, the frame number is a 15. What would he do? What would he do on, on some of the newer equipment, something a little tighter, something a little bit nicer. What I'm basically trying to say is that if I take, even if I take UG dub and we go to a racetrack, right. And I put you on a, on a six, seven year old bike, um, you're going to get to a certain lap time pretty quickly. If I put you on something a little bit newer, you're probably going to get to a, a same a lap time a little bit quicker, but with more room to improve, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that that's the thing right now for me is that it's like, how much better would he be if, and it would be great to see him back here again next year. I don't see him going anywhere. And it seems like Shiby seems pretty happy with him. Um, I hope Hector's back. Yeah, I do. But, but, you know, BMW has a brand new bike this year. And honestly, in talking to Shiby about it, he said, look, there's been some issues with that BMW. Um, and he said, if, if he had gone out and gotten the brand new, brand new RR, whatever the latest one is, yep, yep, yep. he said he probably wouldn't be coming to the racetrack. So it's very interesting. BMW is very and, open yeah. with, with their whole programs. Like and how you 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 build motors, what parts are available? And he's like, I go to the website. I'm running a world endurance motor. Yep. And that and and he doesn't have to rebuild it as much. It's very cost effective for him. And he's you know Steve Shibe's like I'm. This is this weekend. I'm having a conversation with him, and he's just like I'm completely baffled that more people don't look at BMW and really look at it hard because if you I looked agree. at if you looked at actual speeds of the bike, like top end speeds for a bike that's five to six years old, they're yep. running faster total like faster top speeds than most of the other bikes in there it's the motors pretty impressive are, the stock motors are insane still one of my favorite bikes that i ever rode was the you know the last couple of years i rode for bmw over in uh world nerds i rode the factory bmw um super bike over there and like my last race greg in 14 was the Le Mans 24 hour on the 2015 super bike it was like legitimately top three bikes i ever rode i mm. loved it i loved every single part of it. And I wanted to get on BMWs for a lot of years before I got the opportunity in 12. And I love the bike. So again, well, hold on, hold on, hold on before yeah. you go forward. Yeah. Since Stamboli listens to this, what's your favorite bike you've ever ridden? Well, the tack bike from <laughs> O2 was <laughs> legitimately, you know what the thing about that An bike was? Animal. It was just, wasn't that the first year of the GSXR 1000? Oh, one was. Oh one, okay. Yeah, and oh one, oh two were were um, for me. There's so many great memories. Um, but but the thing is, is that 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 bike was that bike was literally one of my funnest bikes to ride. But it was also my scariest. Like it was, 
it was so much power he had put into that bike. You have to you have to get him here on the podcast once and, and talk to him specifically about that bike that he built. Cause I think right now it'd be so much fun to throw electron. If he rebuilt that bike and put his electronics and his twist on that bike, it'd be fun to see what it would do, you know? So yeah. what about JD beach? JD beach. Great job. I think he yep. so good having him in the paddock. Awesome. There, there were really no expectations on him, but the team, you know, Stan Bully was actually his crew chief and had been since 19. So there's, and he wrote, he wrote for Richard back in 2011 on attack, uh, Kawasaki. So they know each other. It was a great pairing that JD did an awesome job. It's great job. A tall order when you're only Ugh. racing one road race bike. And that was a 600 in two years. So I thought he did great. You know, I talked to him quite a bit Sunday morning, Greg, and we talked a little bit. And I brought up this in the podcast. I, Stan Bowley and I sat there and talked for a long time. And it was funny because I saw JD on the track a little bit Thursday and you could tell he was just having to reacquaint himself. I think that when you're, it doesn't matter what level of rider you are at the highest level that he is. Uh, we know how great he is. Um, when you, when you're constantly searching for grip on a dirt tracker and then you come and you ride a bike as advanced as Stamboli's bike. Okay. And all of a sudden you have all this grip and you have all this technology that's helping you maintain grip. Um, it definitely has to be a little bit of a mind screw because he got the call so late to get up there that, you know, he drove 13 hours to get there. He got there at two in the morning. He said he slept in his van that night, Wednesday night, uh, when he got to the track and then he got up Thursday morning and he's on, he's on Stamboli's bike. Uh, it's pretty, pretty damn incredible that he did as well as he did. Um, and, and every, every session he was getting better. He was getting faster. But doing, Jay, the, the number one stuff. thing, okay, that he talked about was the amount of brake pressure that Jake Gagne has to the apex of a corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, from your perspective, how difficult – that's the one that's, thing. No, it's, right? That is the oh, – that is the probably – I mean, I understand getting the throttle 100% grip and driving out and trusting Correct. the electronics is difficult trusting too. Trusting tire, though, under heavy braking. I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the spot where you're going to chuck it down the road and get yourself well, a nice low side. Like it takes a little while to feel it doing it and you're doing it from the speeds that he's coming from. If you put him on a 600 where the speeds aren't as high, uh, and something that, that he's ridden a bunch of times. I mean, what, when would you, when did we see him on a super bike last year? Was it 18, 19 on a super 19 bike with attack? Yep. So, I mean, he's had, he's had two years off of it. The bike's probably advanced quite a bit, obviously. Um, especially, you know, Richard became the official team, right, for Yamaha after yeah. that. So there's a lot of little things there, but it's it's um, but, but I mean, again, he he is the most perfect guy for that job because he comes in, doesn't make any more work for the team, isn't the kind of guy that's gonna bitch and complain. He just gets on with the job at hand, does what he needs to do. You know, he wants to be in our paddock. I mean, you know, JD would love to try to go after a superbike championship if it was possible, and I think there'll be some of that discussion. You know, when we start talking about silly season and things, I mean, I'm already starting to hear things for next year. And and it's like, it would be interesting to see if there would be a spot anywhere for him in the paddock to get back to where he's at, even though we know he's got such a great thing at Essendon. But I thought he did a really nice job filling in for, for Josh, who, who was sick, obviously, and, and couldn't make it to the races. If Josh had made it to the races and he didn't test positive for COVID, they were going to go ahead and run three bikes. They didn't have any extra crew. Yeah. But they talked about it as a team and they were like, we're going to make it work. We'll, yeah. we'll definitely make it work. And it would have been a lot easier uh, for them if Heron had been there because 
JD doesn't crash, you know, because Correct. he's not really high demand. They did make changes. I mean, I saw him, you know, going in, breaking out the front end and and changing cuffs, which they have to press in and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there was some work that was done to make him more comfortable, but they had to do it methodically and they had to do it in steps. And the one thing that Stan Bowley is notorious for is, is putting some trail into a bike because he works with riders and communicates with riders that really like to trail break. And mm-hmm. so that was really, I think, the key to, to, to um, you know, Gagne's success this year and the key to Cameron Bobier is the is the front end feel. And, and honestly, this is the most I've seen uh, Gagne's crew work in, in the last couple of weekends. I mean, they actually were working on the forks because Jake was f- struggling on Thursday and Friday morning with front end feel. I just Obviously love it. They <clears throat> like you said, like you said in the telecast, like, oh, we struggled the first, you know, it's like struggled. You, yeah. you played every session. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to give one guy, one other guy a mention, and then we'll get on with, uh, with the next yeah, thing. Yeah, we're already is, an hour into this it, thing, and we're just talking Bradley, about Super Bowl. It was great to see Bradley Ward back. I thought it was, he was quietly back. Like, like we got to remember last time we saw Bradley was he was getting, you know, loaded up in a helicopter and flown out of New Jersey motorsports with a broken femur wrist. I mean, he was really jacked up. I felt bad for him. Obviously he's done a lot of work to get himself back to where he's at. Um, and he ends up bringing home two top 10 finishes for the fly racing ADR team. Um, talking to him a little bit. Um, you know, I just looked like he was just happy to be back. I mean, nobody will really ever know what that guy went through over the last eight months, nine months. Um, and you know, with your rebate leaving and going to world Superbike, which is another story in and of itself, he's going mm-hmm. over to ride for Petrucini. That spot had reopened itself. And there was a relationship obviously there that I didn't really get too deep into, but Bradley who's been driving trucks around for motocross, supercross. Um, he looked fit. He was happy to be there. Um, there was a number of things that I thought were really, really good for him. And I thought for him to finish ninth and 10th, he had to be over the moon with two top 10 finishes. Agreed. Yeah, so really and nice he job. Was, he was going to be there anyway, regardless <clears throat> yeah. of Uribe's deal, because if Uribe was there, David Anthony was going to start sitting on the sidelines. I think I mentioned it a little bit in the broadcast, but David Anthony is finally at the point of his career with the amount of work it takes to run a team and to be competitive and looking at you know the way that other teams are being run, that he, he's ready to roll out of doing the national stuff, but he wants to continue on being a team owner and put some people to work. And that's yeah. going to be cool. He said he's still going to go out there and mess around with Chuck Wallace. So don't even start thinking you're going to go out and break a track record, Pridmore. All right, because the dude's still got track record out there, and he's going to continue to go after yeah, yeah, it. But yeah. like, I'm really worried about that. But you I know, know what, you dude, are having a guy like Dave Anthony. Night. Yeah, having a guy like Dave Anthony is a guy like that's what we need in our paddock. The guy does such a good job, and he works his tail off. And um, I've talked to him literally. I mean, I I literally had a talk, sit down with him three years ago at Utah. I was like, Jay, how do you know when it's kind of time? But, you know, the guy rides so well, but there are so many things piled onto him, onto his plate, that it's not going to hurt him to, you know, not not back out, but just move to the side a little bit. And his the way he thinks about running that program and how he's doing things are um, are really strong. So looking forward to see what those guys come up with next year. Greg, what I want to talk about next real quickly is the guy who was my rider of the weekend. My guy, rider of the weekend, without question, Jake Lewis. I thought Jake Lewis rode his ass off. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I, he won our stock thousand class. He didn't really just win it. He, he dominated. I mean, he dominated stock thousand in a way where we haven't really seen a lot of that this year where there's been pure domination. Um, but he ends up also in the superbike races, um, in, it, you know, for our superbike cup, he ends up seventh and eighth in those. Um, he did mix it. He did mix it up with a few of the, uh, Superbike guys. Sorry. Yep. He did mix it up with a few of the Superbike guys. 
And, um, you know, I thought it was really, really good just to see uh, how well Jake rode. When you consider this guy, you know, still working for UPS. He told me, he's like, Jay, I still work part-time for UPS. I'm still doing some stuff with them. Um, he just rocks in there and just real workman like all weekend long, just does a tremendous job. Um, and Travis Wyman struggled. And so now Jake Lewis leads yeah, the, the Superbike yeah. Cup championship by 11 points over Wyman and 35 over Corey Alexander. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like when you, but I, you know, I know we're, we're not talking about Normally we go to 600 or we go to, sorry, we go to super sport. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I just, you know, I see his name up here on my screen and he just like dominated all weekend. The guy went 32, four on a stock thousand bike. And just to put that in perspective, he went 32, four in race number two, the second super bike cup guy was Corey Alexander. He went 33, eight and he did that on his last lap. Wyatt Ferris was 33, nine. So this guy was like a second and a half quicker. Yeah. Um, it, it really, if, I mean, it was pretty impressive to see what he did. You know, he got into the 32s. I think he was the only, might have been the only stock thousand guy all weekend to to get into the 32s, I believe. Um, and when we look at the results of that race, uh, that being stock thousand, um, it was a it was a struggling weekend for Corey Alexander, who ends up fifth. He was the points leader coming in. Michael Gilbert ends up second. Mace the third. Ashton Yates fourth who had just a crazy weekend in and of itself i mean ashton to get fourth in stock thousand was great um what do you have like what, what did we say he had like a he had a throttle stick or something going into turn 12 that's what we'd like heard the, the yeah. last lap of Superbike. that's why we saw that insane crash and Race literally one. just literally just destroyed the bike like it's it wasn't even they were loaded up and gone by sunday morning the truck was ashton was still around and they're just hoping to get something put together for that race at Pittsburgh coming up. I mean, they destroyed that bike. Um, Ashton looked super fast on Thursday. Uh, Friday looked good. Then he had a, you know, he had a slide off on Thursday. He had a slide off on Friday. Then they had the catastrophic one that was no fault of his own on the last day. Yeah. It's so tough, tough one for him. But by the way, in stock thousand, like you talked about, Jake Lewis now leads that championship by two points over Corey Alexander and Gilbert's only 27 behind. I say only 27 because you know, anything could happen if some oh, yeah. DNFs up front and then Travis Wyman's right there, 29. So right now with the amount of races we have left in stock thousand, which I'm sorry, I don't know. I know at least, at least we have three. I, I'm yeah, pretty sure yeah, we probably right. have, yep. we have four or five left, but um, anything could happen in that championship and that should be good. So yeah, really tip of the cap to Jake Lewis. All right, let's move on to super sport Do it. where it's been business as usual for Sean Dylan Kelly. He wins by 75 thousandths of a second over Richie Escalante in race number one with lock off Benjamin Smith, Mesa, Liam Grant, Carl Sotis, Nisani, Thermiotis, and LaRoche, eh, your top 10 in race number two. It was SDK 11 seconds over Rocco Lander, Sam Lockoff, Mesa, Smith, Doyle, Minster, Grant, Nisani, and Soltis because Richie Escalante, while leading the race with a 2.2 second lead, threw it down the road uncharacteristically, admittedly trying to get a larger gap. The points now then, because of what's happened as of late, especially with that DNF by Richie Escalante, 61 yeah. points for SDK. SDK is not going to throw that away either. I mean, he's just too good right now. He's riding amazing. Um, I really felt like if Escalante could have kept it on the rails for that second race, it would have at least given him some hope going into the last three rounds and given him a chance uh, to to kind of close that gap. I think when I look back at Brainerd for 600, um, this this that, that class this year, 
Um, it was carnage. It was just, it was, it was like really, really crazy. Like Kevin Almeida again was quick, but crashed. Uh, and then, and then on the second race, he, he, he wasn't able to go. I didn't really find out why I know he completed a lap, but then, um, he wasn't able to do it. Escalante obviously crashed. Uh, we saw Rocco fall off, which was super uncharacteristic of him. Like I, I hardly ever see Rocco tip off, but he fell over. And then the next day he does a really nice job getting himself, uh, you know, a nice second place finish, trying to close that gap. Right. Greg trying doing his best to close that gap. But he did. I mean, for once it looked like Rocco and everybody under that camp were, were kind of happy at the end of the weekend. They weren't, they weren't like still scratching their heads of like, Oh my gosh. And this was a place that they tested. So it was, it was good for them. Um, but it was like the first day it was, it was just like people were wadding themselves. I think Dom Doyle fell over that day. Um, so it was just like, it was, it was, it was a lot of carnage going on, even in the practice sessions and stuff leading up to the races lock off again. I mean, he's doing what I kind of said, Cam Peterson's doing in Superbike. Lock off is, is just there all the time. He, he's capitalizing and taking advantage of the guys that are making mistakes and he's finishing every lap. And I can't tell you, how far that goes for a young rider just to be able to finish all the laps. Be, he, he doesn't, he's not, he hasn't had one of those weekends where next weekend, next year, when we go into the weekends, he goes, Oh, I had a bad result at that track. He's, he's just continuously there. Laguna was bad for him. Laguna wasn't a good weekend for him. Right. Right. But beyond but, that, but beyond that, I get, you, you got to give him some rookie stuff. Some, 100%, you know, somewhere. Yes. A hundred percent. Right. Ben Smith, very uncharacteristic for Ben. He was never really on pace. He was on his back foot all weekend with motors. And I think, you know, it was just set up motors. All these different things were just happening for Benjamin. Um, so he was kind of like, uh, you know, he was just on the back foot. It just never seemed like he got comfortable. It never seemed like he got to where he was. That said, he brings the bike home, gets a fourth and a fifth, not where he wants to be. But at least he scores some points. Stefano Mesa misses the sighting lap the first day, kind of fights his way back to fifth. Second day, he ends up fourth. It was kind of an uncharacteristic weekend for him, too. He was never really on pace on 600s. Uh, but but when at the end of the day, when you look at it, it's really about one guy. SDK is, is too good right now, winning a lot of races, putting it down. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah. We're, just, we're just looking at the front, really, those two. Yeah, congrats and we're, to him. And we're looking to see who's, who's starting to close the gap, which is, which is really Rocco and Sam Lockhart. And they look like the future of super sport, at least, you know, for, for the time being. Yeah, uh, in, in, uh, in, oh, go ahead. I was going to say in junior cup, uh, you know, it's really between two guys and Ben Glotti finally gets another win in race number one over Tyler Scott, who let's just hope, but by now he has found a, uh, fantastic Sam's or, a, or somewhere get that haircut. Cause we kept That's on watching I'm him. saying, man, get I'm the sitting haircut. there, I'm sitting there and I'm like, a rise got to be like freaking out, you know, because they're probably thinking that, that the visor's not closing all the way, or it's not doing something right. Or he's got some sort of equipment problem. Wasn't the case at all, um, but Ty Scott uh, ends up second, only by two two tenths of a second over uh, behind Glotty. Maxwell Toth ends up third. Wyman Rodeo Colstat Owen Williams in his rookie year does a nice job with seventh. Jack Roach, Max Van, and Kayla Yakov, who is Greg. Is she not the busiest person in the world as far as yeah, racing goes much. right now? Yeah, pretty Man, much. Man, Kayla is off, and she's I believe she's in most this weekend in go, uh, go in Czech. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's going. Uh, it's crazy. I love it, though. Good for her. Race number two, Greg, when we look at the results from that one, Ty Scott's able to get a win <clears throat> just barely 
overcharging Cody Wyman. He did a really nice job to get himself in second. Gladi ends up third. Toth fourth, Gus Rodeo fifth. All those five ended up within a second of each other. Gus never really looked like he could just kind of make his way to that front. You made mention of it on the telecast that could have been something as simple as gearing where maybe he was running out of gear and just couldn't quite get in there. Um, but I thought it was a great second day race. Uh, we saw a lot of different lead changes and swaps and those guys closed the gap down to the two from the day before. Kolstad ends up sixth podium finisher from the last three rounds. Kayla ends up seventh on this race. Great job from her. Aiden Dow, Max Van, Blake Davis rounded out your top 10 in that. Um, you and I, it's kind of funny because we see the same things like you always say without really saying anything. And there's definitely a little bit of a, uh, tension it would seem between guys first and second in the championship here yeah they don't they don't care for each other too much i mean in a good way i mean yeah yeah yeah. they're I mean, respectful like, enough to each other but you can definitely tell when one wins and the other doesn't it it's like rainy schwantz days mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. it feel like that uh i hope so i mean I, I would love to see these two start to duke it out on the racetrack for the next number of years to come even you know but i think hey. i think i think I think Pittsburgh, I, you know, look, favoring riders is not, but I mean, you definitely look at the tracks that we go to. I think Pittsburgh for Benjamin will be good. Hmm. I think Ty Scott is amazing everywhere, but I think that, I think, you know, Ben's kind of a bigger guy and we've noticed some of the tracks that like, that have a lot of twists and turns. I think that'll be a good track for him. Ty Scott's not going to roll over. I mean, 16 point lead, 16 point lead. And the neat thing is, is that when you see Cody Wyman and Gus and Colstat and Toth and some of these other guys getting involved, um, you know, like Cody Wyman this weekend finishes between those two. I mean, it, it, it it's, there's going to be guys there that are going to be able to take points away from these guys. Yes. And that's going to be the most exciting part of this championship is who is going to be able to manage that when it comes down to it. Glady definitely like, and I say allowing, you know, allowing Cody Wyman to finish in between himself and Tyler Scott. That's something I think that probably hurts more. Instead of just having, you know, a wash of a weekend that would have been Ben Glady wins, Scott second, yep. and then the next day is reversed. It would have been exactly the same as it was coming in. Yep. It's Cody Wyman who puts himself in between, and all of a sudden we're at 16 points just like that. Just, But 16 points is nothing. We got a lot to play for still in that championship, and I think it'll be – you know, it'll be good to see in Twins Cup, Greg. When uh, when we look at at Twins Cup, um, I was I was so bummed because I don't know exactly what happened to him, but but Jody Berry didn't even get to to ride, and you know he crashed. I know he crashed the first day. He did. He crashed the first day, and then and then he was out. So it kind of was a bummer because it's kind of his home track, and he he had people covered um, for the most part. Then he fell over, and it looked like he hurt his legs. I saw him go out Sunday morning, and he couldn't go. But Caleb DeCrail the first day goes out and, and wins that race. Um, Caleb by two tenths over Maziato. Maziato just kind of baked his tire, roached his tire. It looked like, and yeah, Caleb Maziato was able was gone. And, yeah. Maziato race. just made a mistake too, to be fair. He went into turn 12 on the last lap, really tight, did a nice job defending, but he ran wide and got on the gas, got shot up out of the seat there. And Caleb ends up sneaking through for the win. T Hobbs ends up third in that first race over Hayden Schultz and Chris Parrish. Chris Parrish, I love that guy. It's so, it's so great. Um, he's a guy, if we were like, if we were calling that race, he'd be a guy I'd be over there talking to all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Maziato ends up winning race two, finally. I mean, I thought Maziato would have won by now, uh, but he ends up winning um, that race. And he can give himself a, his own haircut, right? He can. Yeah, he's I, got believe, some, I believe. Yeah, he's a hairdresser and or whatever, a barber. And 
Yeah. Yeah. I think a bunch of the dudes who hang out in and around that Jersey area go to him and get their hair cut. And every now and then I see it on the social media. This program's getting long, but so good to have in that guy. Maziato is a talent. And so it's good to have him there. DeCrail ends up second in race number two. T. Hobbs again, third over Hayden Schultz and our boy Chris Parrish once again. Championship in that one, I think. Looking at it now, Caleb's really opened that up. 53-point lead over T. Cobbs. Uh, again, I don't know Twins Cup's actual how many like rounds Scheduled how many yeah. rounds, neither do I. I hope I hope next year, I hope next year that Twins Cup and Stock Thousand can just have two rounds every weekend. I because it's uh, it's all you know, good racing, you know. I don't know because there's rumors that you know Baggers is gonna go to five and you know th- th- I mean I, I don't know if it's possible on the schedule, but who knows? Yeah, but I'm saying what's possible and what I would like are two different things, Greg. Well, that is true. So That's get true. over yourself. Like, I don't care about your opinion. What's possible is, is that I could have Dunkin' Donuts delivered here. Yeah, well, that's more. It's That could happen for sure. So right, anyways, anyway. I think Brainerd, looking back at Brainerd, uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was great all the way around. I thought uh, I'm looking forward to going back. I love the area. I liked everything about it. Um, I'd love to see that chicane fixed. But other than that, I thought it was great. Good. All right, listen, MotoGP is headed to, well, they're coming off of their little summer break, which is great. They're going to Austria, Red Bull Ring, where we raced a couple times last year. Wasn't that the the site of the infamous bike flying by uh, yeah. Maverick Vinales' face? In between him and Rossi, right? Yeah. So, Jay, it's in, in MotoGP, the premier class. Quattararo has got 156 points to Zarco's 122. Bagnaya is in at 109, Mir in at 101, and Miller at 100. So, like behind Fabio. What's, hey, what's the point lead, Greg? Sorry. I heard 156, say, 156 to 122. 122. Yeah. So what is that? 20, I feel like that's going to get 24? close this weekend. I feel like okay. Zarco. I have Zarco. Don't they race their back-to-back weekends? Uh, I think they go there back-to-back. I think they do. There. Yes, they are. Yeah. So I, I, I think I think that Zarco. I, I, look, if there's a track that the Yamahas seem to struggle at, this is it. KTM's? This is the one. KTM goes good here. KTM. KTM Ducatis are going to be really good. I, and, I, I think it's going to be really good. And you got to throw into the mix that Danny Pedroza is going to race as a wild card. Yeah. Cal Crutchlow Crutchlow. is going to race as a wild card. Love it. Somebody was saying, well, okay, then let's just get Divi- excuse me, Davizioso in there. But yeah, it should be, um, he's not coming, but it should be a pretty, pretty entertaining weekend as it goes with yeah. MotoGP because we're going to see who put the work in. Not not only from the rider standpoint, you know, over the last because we know that some of the riders have been on the track, they've been racing street bikes, but also if there's any work, any bits and pieces that show up, they're going to make these bikes better. Yeah, that are allowed within the rules. That's another you know month off thing. I know um, that Paolo Chibati, who was here and who also is the sporting director for the MotoGP program at base, basically everything Ducati Corsa. He wouldn't tell me if there was going to be anything new on the GP bikes. Like we we breezed over the GP conversation pretty quickly. Pretty it was quickly, pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah it, it was pretty entertaining. Well, you but, know, there's a lot of information that goes out in this podcast, and he knows that, so he didn't want to give you all the insight, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, he's he's listening every. Yeah. But by, by the way, in in Moto Two, Remy Garner's leading over Fernandez, one eighty four to one fifty three. So a decent lead over there. Bezeki's in the mix. Sam Lowe's is in fourth after leading the championship early on in the year. Uh, my my boy Ayogura is in 11th at 49, just behind American Joe Roberts, Bobier 26th. We'll see if Bobier and his team are able to make a, a step the second half of this season in the unbelievably fast Moto3 World Championship. 
It's Pedro Acosta leading 158 to Sergio Garcia's 110. Acosta has been struggling a little bit as of late. Hasn't had the the early season success, but still holds on to a nice chunky lead. So, MotoGP this weekend. Also, Jason, what else you got? Well, I got I got one thing I wanted to kind of hit you with here uh, mm-hmm. because and it took everything in my brain to I should have written it down. But <clears throat> talk about MotoGP side of things. MotoGP side of things. You know, in the, in the summer break, that's normally when we hear of new signings and. Summer break's always got this stuff around it, right? So that's what mm-hmm. they always talk about. Wasn't the summer break when Valentino was going to come out and tell everybody what he was doing? After. Yeah, I mean, yeah, now or I after. I thought it was summer break. I thought he was going to look at this first he, half of the year, and then he was going to come out and tell everybody kind of what was going on. We already yeah. know that they've announced the team, right, for next year? Have they announced a team? All I know is that <laughs> yeah, when Saudi I was... Ar- yeah, the Prince of Saudi Arabia, is throw- that, that's where his team's sponsored by. He's got... Yeah. So it's going to probably be... Well, they've already said that Marini's going to be one of them, and the prince wants Rossi riding next to his, bro- you know, his brother. Oh, I didn't read that. Okay. Oh yeah, no, it's kind of everywhere. I mean, is he? I, I, is I he, do know. I, the only thing I do know is is that he Ducati, coming back? Is he going to come back and ride a Ducati? I mean, would that? Would <laughs> That's that my be question a, to you. I mean, he definitely could. I mean, well, he don't, could. Don't, it, don't, like, no, okay, what I'm yeah, saying is, he could. I'm asking you. You're like, you know. Look, if it means getting funding for years down the road for his team and that was kind of contingent on it, why wouldn't he? I mean, what is what does Yamaha really have right now? It's been years now since well, Yamaha's he ain't proven. Well, going to be back with Yamaha. Yeah, I mean, Morbidelli's going to get that seat at next to Quattro, I would assume. This is all just me bullshitting, so I don't know. No, anything. I think I think that's the chit-chat, <clears throat> sure. And then and then you're going to get I don't I mean, Petronas has got to basically get two riders. Hmm. Morbidelli's gone. I th- I don't see Rossi going back there. And so when you start to look at all this, it's you've got a couple seats there and then you've got a seat to fill at Ducati. And it's like, where's everybody going to go? Eight Ducatis. Eight it's Ducatis. Insane. Five of them are going to be 2022s, Paolo told me, and three of them are going to be 21s. Which so yeah. So which which bikes Rossi going to be on? The well, 22 yeah, or got, the 21? We got the Pramac and the factory teams. There's four bikes right there. That are going to be twenty twos, and, and I don't he, know who's getting. I don't know who's getting the twenty ones. Grassini or well, no. I think that if you go, Rossi's team's got to get one of them. Has yeah. to get one of those twenty twos, right? So, yep. if you got Luca Marini, and then who are you going to put next to him? I mean, who are they going to get? Like, do they get Vinales? Can you imagine if Vinales went there? <sighs> I don't. I you know who knows? Who knows what Vinales and Rossi are like? I don't know. But if, but who are they going to get if if Rossi? decides to not race what what main guy goes there does he get dovey like there's a lot of different things to be talked about so i'm I'm excited about this weekend and listening to what is going on over there and getting like i i think come thursday by thursday there's going to be a lot of information or news or things or thoughts or something about next year wouldn't there be yeah, i think so Plus, do you think you garrett know. do you think garrett after do you think he like <laughs> does he move forward no i i don't see that either no but- he doesn't he doesn't move forward unfortunately for garrett the on the when moto gp at this moment in time has has looked away from garrett for the moment for for two reasons and and one of them is the fact that he took out top rack i mean and that's coming from that's huh. coming from someone i'm not going to say who but someone yeah. very high up in ducati <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and some mechanics that we know, um, talking to some other contacts that we have. Yeah. 
at, at this point, Garrett has got to do one thing and one thing only, and that's focus on staying clean and finishing the best results he can cleanly for the rest of the season. Yep. You know, because like as you look at it, he has to get people to forget about these. Yeah, he issues. just he just had a birthday, and he's even at his age, he's turned what twenty six, I think. He's, yep. he's aging out of MotoGP opportunities. There's so much young talent coming out of Spain, yeah. so much young talent coming out of Italy. You know, yes, absolutely, Ducati at some point is interested in Garrett Gerloff for a GP bike. No, Ducati or Super- Yamaha? Ducati. Oh, Ducati, got it. Of course they're looking at him the yeah. guy's a bright young talent why wouldn't yeah. you think to yourself you know it's part of the reason why garrett gets signed early but you know the, the 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 whole thing about taking out top rack and the press release that came out which after rereading that press release many press release many times i just failed to see how that's garrett gerloff's words there's no way that garrett gerloff said that i didn't know who it was till i turned around come on whatever whatever there's no you know way I mean? garrett says that nah so but anyway gonna- so yeah. So and, I, mean, and I just think that it's really interesting right now. I think MotoGP is in such a great place because I think that one guy you got to think about is Cameron Bobier. Okay. If, if, if yeah. Dorn is interested in putting an American on a bike, you have a guy who's already done a year, you look at those results and you go, okay, the results aren't great. But if you look at what's going on inside that paddock, the things he's overcoming and the fact that he's had these interesting, horrible qualifying results and has marched his way through the field and has the experience he has on super bikes. And we know that's about front end feel that you can get on a GP bike that you don't necessarily get on a Moto2 bike. Like blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. Right. You know, there's a lot of riders out there. There's a lot of people to pick from. World Superbike is not really where MotoGP is turning to right, right. now. Right, right, right. So we'll see. No, it's going to be interesting. I just think that it's, um, we kind of know where everybody's going to be in World Superbike next year. You know, we kind of, we kind of already have an idea. And Which World like, Superbike's coming up too, so we get another one. So World Superbike, yeah. we might as well talk about that. They're going most to most Czech Republic. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, nobody's really been there. I think Redding and Rinaldi rode there on street bikes. That's it. Mm, okay, but that don't matter. I mean, I mean, no, not really. It's it's a it's wide open. You're going to see. I, I think what you might see is Garrett Gerloff. I mean, he has shown that he can show up to races and get so fast, so yeah. quickly that you might see him lead a session or two as well. I, that, there's Excuse no, me. there's no, no doubt about that. Like mm-hmm. Garrett could, you know, this is, it's going to, again, this will be the deal where Garrett's got to manage. He's got to manage the idea that he's got to, he's got to do two things, get the best results he can and try to help top rack the best he can. I think those are the things that are going to put him back in the good graces. Obviously that's just us talking. Who knows? I mean, yeah, you, you love the aggression. You love all that, but, but I still think, I still think he'll win a race by the end of the year. I think you're going to win a race. It's just a matter of how much this is mentally played on him. Who's talking to him? Who's doing whatever they can to help him? And, and, uh, cause he's right there, but, but it's a, it's an interesting weekend. It'll be even more you, interesting to see what this track looks like. Cause I've never seen it. I've heard about it when I used to go race at Brno, I, I'd hear about, I'd hear about most, but I never got to go there. Oh, okay, so it's been around a while. Yeah, you know Eugene Laverty and his RC Squadron Corso team is out. Yeah, I know. Okay, sucks. So it it kind of sounds like they're taking a break, not because of it's more. At least from the stuff that I read on Eugene's social media, it sounds like it's more just the team trying to find their footing more than anything. Because he's still going to be testing with BMW. You know, Eugene yeah. will still be on a bike. Yeah. Um, also, your your your, uh, I think Yart Yart's going racing, dude. Yeah, it was funny that you said that about. Should I be talking about riding in a, uh, basically an endurance spec motor? Because 
yeah, Yart's got who Marvin Fritz and um, and Canica, uh, uh, don't they? Hanukkah. No, Canepa is not coming. That's no, not no, not Canepa. Carl Hanukkah. Hanukkah, yeah, Hanukkah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. I'm kind of a little bit surprised that Nico's not riding it, but regardless, they've got some. Yeah, they've got some basically some uh, specced endurance world endurance bikes. So you know they're not going to have all the trick of stuff. By the way, I mean, yeah, it, it's great to see those guys getting a chance, but you'll get to see a difference in equipment at this one. So. Track looks really interesting. I just pulled it up. So if you yeah. if you yeah, want to look at the racetrack, anybody go to just go to worldsbk.com and you can pull it up. But the track looks pretty gnarly. It looks like it could be uh an interesting place. So um Yeah, there's an animation of the track that they have, like a little <clears throat> video animation. Oh, is that right? Is it yeah like, if you too- click that if you click that link or are you talking about Yeah, if you click a link that's on their page, but I have you know, I pay for it, so I don't know if it's free or not. But I mean, yep. it's, it's 21 corners, they're saying, and wow. only 2.6 miles long. Wow. So, so it's going it, to be busy. It, yeah. But some of those corners, like turn 18, 19, are really more like fast sweeping, kind of like turn one at VIR. Looks like it anyway, type of kinks, you know? I'm looking at it now. Yeah. It looks really cool. Check so, such a, it's such a cool place. It's yeah. Czech Republic. Cool oh, yeah. yeah. Czech Republic is really neat. It's yeah. such a cool place. Nobody ever really talks about Czech, but it's, I loved it over there. So, but yeah. I mean, Dude, I'm so pumped. I got a full, I got a weekend at home. I got a weekend at home before we get really rolling again because August is a busy month for me. But gonna sit and watch MotoGP, watch World Superbike. It's gonna be awesome. Me too. All weekend I have, long. Like, I have a daily training program for <laughs> archery, but it, it doesn't include a whole lot. I'm ramping my way up to a peak, which yep. unfortunately my, my arrow volume peak is supposed to be, I think, Saturday at when we're at um pit race because the tournament starts Thursday after pit race, but I'll, I'll, you know, just have to manage my time and it gets I'm pretty dark late. I'm going to pit and I'm bringing my sticks because I'm going to try to practice every day after we're done doing our jobs. We have to commit them. We have to, I mean, that's the whole thing. I can take time in the evening if I just do what I did this weekend at Brainer, which is show up at, you know, seven o'clock in the, I mean, nobody yeah. really shows up till seven thirty normally. Yeah. You, you know? get there early. I get there early and and that's, and you know, that's me doing research, my comfort level. You need stuff. You need a track open to do a lot of your research. So it's a little different, but for me, it's like, you know, Saturday when we're done with our meeting, luckily for me, if you are, if you're standing in the, in, in the pits and you're looking out over the front straightaway and you know, you can see the back straightaway as well. Mm-hmm. If you go straight through that fence about 400 yards, there's an archery club there that's and so they've, great. they've let me shoot there the last couple of years. And so I'm waiting for permission to see if I can shoot there also through a friend of mine, Brent Platt, and uh, who comes to the races, who's who's finished on the podium this year, actually, at these ASA tournaments. That's Good dude, right. really great yeah. guy. The funny thing is, is if they would just open that gate for me, I could be there in 10 seconds. Instead, no it takes way. me 18 minutes to leave the track, go all the way out to the road, go up the road, then take all the back roads to get to yeah, that to part get of it. to that place. It's hilarious because a, it's like, yeah. yeah. There's a great golf course for me to go practice there because I'm going to stay on the road after, uh, after pit on Monday you know, my boys on their summer tour, Cole and all them are going to be at pit riding. Oh, so, okay. yeah, I mean, you should, I, you know, go off in the woods and shoot arrows at them or something when they're riding by on Monday. You know, well, I, I'm riding, I'm riding the, the, the motorcycle up there and I'll have the bow on the back with the two by two cycles, you know, bow case rack and, um, new rage, which is a sponsor, Corey Alexander, Richie Alexander. They actually had the rack for a week and they made me 
plug in a plug in solution for taillights and blinkers and relocating yeah. the the um, license plate. So as long as I get all that sorted in the next couple of days and get off this damn podcast, I can go work on the motorcycle and I'll have my bow with me as well. So I'm considering shooting Monday, cold, shooting cold. Yeah. I mean, just stand outside the fence and just start launching X10s at them. Yeah. You, I mean, cool. you don't really need a fast arrow. You know what I mean? Doesn't need to be a fast arrow. No, actually. So what I could do is back out my limb bolts and uh, go from 60 pounds down to 50 pounds. That'll drop about 100 foot feet per second off the arrows. That should be able to keep up with gold. Yeah, should be pretty easy. Uh, yeah. He hasn't had any real reason to beat me up lately, so I might as well give him one. Uh, I actually have a friend of mine, Christine. I'm gonna try to quali- yeah, I'm going to try to qualify for the U.S. Mid-Am that week. What What's the Mid-Am then? 25 and older, big USG event. So I'm going to, I'm literally going to, Oh, to, there is it in in Pittsburgh? So it, it's uh, it's Monday Monday morning. I'm gonna try to just hang out with the boys, maybe get a few laps in and ride. Yeah, and then uh, and then I'm taking off Monday afternoon. And I'm driving towards Cincinnati. Oh, so cool! I'm, yeah, it's it's like about a four hour drive. So I'm driving to Cincinnati, try to play a practice round there Tuesday, and then do the qualifier Wednesday, and then fly out. All right, my stuff starts in Richmond, Virginia, for the USA Archery Nationals on Thursday after. Oh, so you got and then yeah. I shoot Thursday and Friday. And then th- that's that is one tournament. So highest score wins. Yep. And then on Thursday night, though, I have a I have a mixed team shoot. So myself and and uh, this other archer, uh, Crystal Govin, we will shoot a team round, mixed teams. Then on Friday, after I shoot my individual round, I get to team with two of four guys that are on the USA archery national team that travel the world and represent the u.s i have That's no idea cool. why they decided to shoot with me team round <laughs> obviously it's for fun but yeah. this guy rio wild and chris Schaff. chris Schaff just won uh a national tournament in in ohio last weekend and they're like yeah we'll shoot team rounds with you i'm like that's cool okay that'd be fun for you though that's good yeah I mean, you haven't been doing it much and no and i shoot eliminations on saturday morning for my class and then i'll commentate saturday afternoon for uh the four classes including the recurve classes, which are, if anybody saw the Olympics, those same U.S. athletes are already back in the United States, and they'll be competing at this tournament in a couple of weeks. How's your um, how's your Call of Duty cardio training going? Oh, it's good. I mean, the the depth of the of the <laughs> the divot in the cushion yeah. from where I sit and play Call of Duty is deeper than ever. I just figured that the guy running around on the screen, you're just using that as cardio. Yeah, I mean, my guy. My guy's super fit. I is mean, fit? One of the, that's yeah. one of the things that separates me from a lot of the people in Call of Duty or, or we just call it COD, you know, in the community is my movements. Yeah. My movements are unreal. Well, it's been an interesting podcast, a lot going on. We got a lot to talk about next week, but oh it, my gosh, yeah. it was a, it was a fun week. And, uh, yeah, look ahead to the calendar. Obviously there's MotoGP world Superbike coming at you. You know, the best thing to do is either check out NBC schedule, NBCSN schedule and see if there's any racing on there or just do what we do and just pay for it. Um, there's some other stuff going on. Loretta Lynn's, the amateur outdoor no- motocross nationals, the thing that all amateurs go for that, you know, eventually that's going on starting this week. That's where our boy uh, Wygant's going to be. That's in Hurricane he's Mills, Tennessee. Ten, like he's down there for like two weeks or something, 10 days. And you know what? Yeah, Check this a, out. It's an ass whip. I think it's called MX Sports. Uh, hold on. I'm looking literally as I talk to you, but I think it's MX Sports. Yeah, MX Sports is the company that owns Pro Motocross. Okay, well, they are running all of these races. If you go to their website, go to mxsports.com. I just went there and I haven't looked at it all yet, but um, you can watch all the races. You can stream it because, yep, non Because, yeah, that's so sick. So I'm definitely doing that. I'm, I want to go watch Loretta's and then 
Is Weege, I'm, I'm assuming Weege is the guy announcing. I mean, I know he's announcing there at the track, but I wonder if it's like if. Uh... Yeah, no, Weege is full blown into it, dude. He's one of the top. I mean, it's so, they're so, they're on air for so long, though, that it's not Weege just, you know, like standalone. I mean, there's more, there's other commentators that work there, but Weege does a tremendous oh, yeah. amount of the lifting. I got it on right now. It's live and you can just stream it. It's pretty sick. So, yeah, it's good. You know, it's funny you said that too because there was a there was a press release that came across my uh, came across my email about MX Sports and a new program they have, and I cannot, I don't know what I did with it. It was absolutely phenomenal. But anyway, yeah. So they're on. You can also find them on Racer Racer TV. Um, racertv.com is where you're going to find all that Loretta stuff. If you want to see the future of the sport guide, I mean, they've been racing, right? So yeah, they're on day two. This is day two of racing is live today. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and, and it's all age groups, but they primarily focus on, on the younger riders. It's so cool though. It's so cool. There's so many classes, so many classes, dude. Did you ever go there? You never went there for, you never did any announcing there, right? Not announcing, but I've been there plenty of times. Oh, have you? Oh my God, dude. I got a great story for you one time about Little League dads at Loretta Lynn's that Brad Jones and I did one time. It is Brad Jones, a six foot six, played offensive line for Penn State. And we, at the time, we had a, you know, a 50 pound beta cam. So, like, basically, the reason I'm telling you these things is because you can't miss him. Cannot yeah, miss him. He's huge. Yeah. Brad's a great dude. Are we going to see him yeah. in Pittsburgh? Yeah. We'll see him in, uh, oh, no, he's, he's traveling. I think, I think okay. they have flat track. He's, he's, uh, he's producing flat track oh, now. Okay. Got it. So he does got AFT it, and it. stuff right now yeah. along with some other things. So I think maybe Sunday he might show up Sunday That's or cool. he'll be back Sunday night. But anyway, so yeah. So, so anyway, I'll tell you the story some other time. Yeah. Cause we're, um, we're, hour, we're hour and 30. Yeah. Years. But it's, it's, it's one of those crazy stories where you go, how do parents get away with that stuff? And maybe yeah. this day and age they can't, but it was an incredible story about Loretta's, but, uh, it's uh it it is an unbelievable hoot and holler of a time. I mean, people save up all year long to go there as a family. You can race them from I think five years old, maybe even yeah. three years old, all the way up to a hundred years old. We know Nate's full on moto dad now, so his they're going to be there next year. Oh really? Oh uh, yeah. Oh, if if their kid qualifies, it's a big deal, man. Yeah, no, he's going to qualify. Kids top real. ten or something from each so region. Sick. And, it's so sick. Right. So well, anyway, that'll that'll do it for us. So say goodbye, Jason. Thanks everybody. Goodbye.